really excited about this series. We're starting this new series and asked Peter last week if he would begin this series. And just my only thing I said to him is, you know, you're going to take the first verse. And, and uh, you know, one of the thoughts is as we kind of move into this whole renovation of our sanctuary, the, the lobby renovation, the plans, and whether God wants us to do it this year or not, we're just going to lay that out there and pray about it and think about it. I said, so somehow just if you can't tie that in. And then he went on and he gave an incredible message about the very truth about what this whole book is about. It's about the presence of God. About the presence of God that wants to be in our midst, not just in this church, not in a building, but in a people as well as individuals so that he can begin to spread his presence like water that goes out over a land in a flood, that with the flood of people filled with his presence goes out and about throughout the world. And I just want to share with you, we're going to, we're going to go through this. It's, um, Haggai is just a short book. In fact, if you want to follow along, their scripture will be up there. We're going to go through kind of a verse by verse. And, uh, and if you want to look at the Bible that's in the pew in front of you, it's page 937 and 938. That's it. One front page and one back page. That's all we're going to look at. But we're going to do this for over four more weeks. And it's an incredibly important message that I believe God um, calls us to understand as he did years ago. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to look at your word and to study, understand it, and to hear from you in a new and a fresh way. God, it is really, um, I speak on our behalf, it's our desire that your presence be fully manifest here. We thank you for how you've blessed us this morning's song. We thank you for what Lindsay said. She just saw humility and service and, and, and generosity and, and all kinds of things in those that are here. But we ask in a, in a way that's beyond what we could imagine or think that you would reside in us individually and corporately. We pray this and ask that you, Spirit of God, would speak in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you know, it may not surprise you that there are a lot of people out there who really treasure their electronic gadgets, right? They just, I mean, they just, they really love them. And it's not uncommon to hear of people actually risking electrocution on train tracks to retrieve their dropped gadgets. It's really true. There's stories of that. There's even one guy who, after dropping his phone in a public toilet, reached into it and got his, got stuck arm to elbow eventually requiring the jaws of life to free his arm. Then there's the case of the New Yorker Marcin Machalski, who was taking a morning stroll along the Williamsburg Bridge when a mugger surprised him, took out a gun, and demanded his cell phone. Now I'm thinking, give that baby up. Not believing that the robber had the guts to actually shoot him in the middle of the Williamsburg Bridge, at 7 a.m. in the morning and not wanting to hand over his most prized gadget, Marson essentially dared his assailant to pry that little phone off his, if it would be cold, dead hands. Can you imagine that? And so the robber is just thinking, what in the world is he doing? So he happily obliged Marson's request and proceeded to shoot him in the leg. Now, here's where most people would count their losses and hand over the cell phone, right? You can have my little electronic gadget, but Marcelin 
wasn't quite finished with his challenge with death. So Marston began to limp away as fast as he could, still holding his cell phone. Now you got to be, that's nuts. And the mugger, who actually had his priorities slightly more in line, decided not to give chase and risk a murder charge over a little cell phone. And so as he limped away, Marston got to a safe distance, called the NYPD using his cell phone, and they picked him up for the crime. I, I, I got to go, that's, that's what I call a case of misplaced priorities, right? You know, you're staring there, and you, and, and, and you got a cell phone or your little electronic gadget in one hand and death in the other. I um, was um, this just the other day, came home and went to Lund's and went to Lund's, and here out in front of Lund's, are all kinds of Christmas stuff. You seen that? I'm thinking to myself, I've been saying this, it's a running commentary with my wife because about three, four weeks ago, she wanted to put up some Christmas stuff. And I said, it's not even the end of fall. We haven't even gotten to Thanksgiving yet. And so I look at that and I go, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. Christmas stuff out there. And then she comes down and I'm sure she's egging me on. And she goes, guess what? Hallmark movies have Christmas movies already. I'm going, it's not even Christmas yet. And then I heard the other day this inappropriate comedian who made some very, I think, appropriate observations. He talks about Jesus who lives this ascetic, non-material life of poverty, of all people, has a holiday, in fact, a season that is celebrated has become the most materialistic in a season of consumption. How does that fit? Right? There's something wrong with the priorities. We haven't even got to the point of giving thanks, and we're already getting into the season of getting. Well, that's just kind of the way it is in life. All of a sudden, there's these priorities that kind of like the culture and everything else begin to kind of just push us into their priorities, or, or we don't even set our own priorities. And what's interesting here is when we get to Haggai, and we're going to use the word Haggai, not Haggai, just to make it easier for you. Um, Haggai is basically asking these kind of questions. He's asking them simple questions like, what's urgent and what's essential? He's asking the people to think about what's maybe second or third, but needs to be first. He's asking questions like, what's been left undone that needs to be attended to, that actually needs to be completed? He's asking things like, what might be old and really needs some work to be restored? and should be a priority. Those are the questions that, that the people of God are facing when Haggai stands before him. These are the questions that I think we'll be looking at in some ways, too, in our own lives. They had for over 70 years, depending on when you date exactly the beginning of that and ending of that captivity, but it's close to 70 years now, and they've been released, and they were people who were deported. Um, Babylon came in and deported the people throughout the Middle East. You see, what was happening, as Peter said last week, is, is what was going on is that there was a time when God was trying to get a hold of their attention and the people of Israel living there, and the temple had been built, this glorious, beautiful temple that Solomon had, and they had this sense that the presence of God would never lead them. They could do whatever they wanted. And as Ezekiel gave his messages one after another, he talks about the presence of God leaving the most holy place, and then it's kind of the outside of the temple, and you can just read it through the book of, as you go through that a book, you find eventually he gets up and leaves completely. And when he leaves completely, when God leaves our life completely. All kinds of things can come in and run in and destroy what's going on in our own lives. And that's what happened. They were invaded by Babylon. God allowed for that to happen. They were sent and deported to another land. And they're there and they're saying, oh God, we blew it. We are so sorry. We, we, we just really give us another chance. 
And so as God is hearing their prayers, at a certain point, he goes ahead and he moves in the heart of a man named Cyrus, who's the king of Persia. And, and, and Cyrus hears God and is moved by God. The people are crying out to God and they want to get back. And you know what they want to do? They want to build the temple. They want, once again, the presence of God in their life. Can we just get back? So they get back and they get set to build the temple. They're excited about building the temple. That's their main priority. Can we get the walls rebuilt around the city and then get the temple so the people of God can live in the presence of God again? But they return, all excited. But soon, within a few years, they're facing opposition. Ever have that when you set priorities? It's really amazing. Everything gets in the way. Everything seems to oppose that which you know is good. Well, that's what happens there. And they face opposition. The work grinds to a halt. And for 15 years, nothing was done on the temple. The temple was about knee-high tall. For 15 years... They walked by what they had been crying for, what they had been pleading for, what they wanted more than anything. And when they got there, they walked by. Just think 15 years ago, yeah, there's the temple. I wonder how they walked by. Did they walk by and kind of go like this? Did they walk by and we'll find out a little bit what they did as we get into this book. So in a period of four months, a man named Haggai gives four messages. And each of them is really a call to renovate. It's to get back to work on what was left undone. They're messages that call people to finish what they started, to follow through, to examine their priorities, to look at things with a new perspective, to have different expectations, and then to have a hope. Unlike any other book in the Bible, these messages are very interesting because if you read through them, they're very precise in the second year of King Darius. And they'll go on and they'll have different, what I call, time stamps. And that's an interesting thing that was happening in the history of the people throughout the world at this time. In the Persian Empire that time, they began to become concerned with actual time. So they would, they would actually put the time down in years and even in almost hours so that you could kind of reference history in a whole new way. So you have this idea, here's Haggai, he's coming back, and now he's, he's been influenced by his culture, and he is very precise on when these messages are written down. And so as you go through this, you'll see, in fact, the final and fourth message occurs on the, on the same day. The final and fourth message is given, and then just about a few hours later, the, after the third message is given, he gives this fourth message. It would be as if, if, as if I gave this message here. We get done at... 11.59 like normal and we all go home and then I go ahead and we send out an email and say you know what God wasn't done speaking through the pastor and we had phone calls and everybody said get back at 3 o'clock we're having more of a message right? right okay anyway that's what was going on there so here's the first message given in the second year at 5.20 before the, uh, the time of Christ it was the first day of the sixth month, we're told, which would be, by our calendar, September 1st. And God used their life situation to get their attention. Isn't that interesting? He used the common things going on in their life to grab hold of their thoughts. They felt their lack in, in their pocketbook. They felt lack in their relationships. They just weren't going the way they wanted. They wanted more out of their relationships. They felt a lack within the fulfillment of their, their desires. They had tried, and they had tried and worked hard, but they just couldn't get ahead. They just couldn't get no satisfaction. Now, most people don't know it, but the prophetic book 
of Haggai is what inspired Mick Jagger and Stones <laughs> to that popular song, I can get no hey, hey, satisfaction, but I try and I try and I try. That, that's right out of Haggai. You know he stole it. You see, the people of Haggai that were being addressed by him were not experiencing joy and peace and fulfillment that their hearts longed for. So finally, through their perpetual frustration, God had their attention and Haggai spoke. Sometimes things in life happen that cause us to evaluate our priorities. And you may be in a place like that today. You may have some things going in your own personal life. You may have some things going in your work situation. You may have things where you're actually having to evaluate some of your priorities. And that's what's going on in this book. So the first message is just a simple one. It's about priorities. It's about putting first things first. Doing what matters most. And here's the essential word, now. When the Spirit of God speaks, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. So just listen to the Spirit of God as I give this message. Not for someone else, okay? Not for the person next to you. But for yourself. See, what keeps you from experiencing what your heart most desires? And here's the diagnosis that Haggai gives to the people in that day. And there's four things I'm just going to talk about as we're going to go through these verses. Two, chapter um, one, verses two, all the way to the end of chapter one. And the first he says this, is, is, it's about our heart condition. He says, our heart condition, if you don't watch out, will lead to hurtful consequences. So in incredible love, God issues a hard challenge through his spirit, through his word, in hopes of a healthy, better conclusion. So we're looking at it, what I call a heart condition with hurtful consequences, with this hard challenge that could lead to, in your case, even a healthy a better conclusion. If you look at verses 2 and 3, God is speaking about this heart condition, and he deals with these, the people's excuses. And their excuses reveal the condition of their heart. It's not a hard heart. They're not cold-hearted. They weren't outwardly rebellious. It wasn't like when they were deported years ago where he came to them and he said, you're oppressing the poor, there's injustice, he, and, and there's all kinds of immorality, and you're living lascivious lifestyles and, and, and all these things. It's just this outward rebellion. That, that's not what's going on here. As you see their excuses, God's merely pointing out their imbalance, their lack of attention, their willingness to leave unattended something that really needed to be attended to, and if not, something of greater consequence would occur. If you listen to what he says in verse 2, he says, These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Isn't that interesting? That's their excuse. They're not standing up high-handed before God. It's not not time yet. They weren't even saying things shouldn't be taken care of. They even acknowledged, oh yeah, that should be taken care of, but they were just saying now is not the time. Not just cold-hearted, but really kind of lukewarm. And again, if you listen to verses 3 and 4, God answers their flimsy excuse. So he, he says, here's what you're saying, and let me tell you what I think about it. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in a ruin? Now, if you check older translations or, or manuscripts, actually in some of the older manuscripts, in parentheses, there's just this little word, ouch. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Because that statement should leave a mark. Right? 
You guys are walking by. He's saying, you walk by the knee-high little thing that you were all excited about coming that I released you to do and I've got you there so you could be and live in my presence. But you walk by it every day and what you have done, here's what they did. They actually, when they were let go, they came up and they got all the wood. They put all the wood down there. They started to build it. They got it knee-high. They never used all the wood. Instead of just walking by it and not even looking at it, they were taking the panels of wood and they were putting it to their house. And he says, guess what? You guys are telling me that it's not time to do the work, but you have been working on your own house. You're doing your own stuff. You're, you're giving all your attention to what you think and your desires. And you're leaving me out. You're leaving me out. Here's the point. Catch this. God was not last place or second to last place or even third or fourth in their life. He was just next to what they considered most important. He wasn't in last place or second to last place or third or fourth. He wasn't even second necessarily. Just wasn't on the top of the list. God and the things of God were next in line. Sound familiar? Every once in a while I have these little thoughts that come through my, my heart and my life when I have something before me. It may not be something of necessarily great consequence, but sometimes it can be. And, and I get these little thoughts that, you know, someday but not today. You ever had that? Someday but not today. Well, I had that thought um, back in 1992 in December. We had lived in our house. It was out in the country. And we had been there for a little over a year. I wasn't really quite sure how the wonders of, of what I call propane gas tanks work. Anybody had propane gas? You know, it's just one of these things that you actually need what I would call some house care and some utility management skill. Basically, you just have to give attention to it and make sure that it's filled up. Well, I'm thinking, you know, it's December. And I had this fleeting thought around December 15th, because I remember it was kind of call to have the propane tank filled. And it wasn't my wife's voice. It was my thought, possibly the Holy Spirit impressing on me, going, I love you too much. Anyway, I quickly countered that thought with another thought someday. I'll call them someday soon, but not today. I just don't have time for it right now. It's December 15th. I'll call at the turn of the year. As soon as the first week in January comes, things slow down. I'll go ahead and call, but not today. So I rationalized that because I figured, you know, the last time we had it filled was back in April, and it got almost four months or so till like mid-September, and, and, and then we filled it again. So that, we're not even close in my mind. And then those of you who are smart enough to realize... Um, you might see the flaw in my logic because uh, April through September, you don't use a lot of heat. Well, um, I was young at this point, by the way. And I just get, I'll, I'll do it someday, but not today. So life took off with church responsibilities, Christmas festivities, and then on the eve of December 4th, after the Christmas Eve service, we came home to a rather chilly house, and I couldn't understand why the heat wasn't working. Grace, I just don't get it. At 11 p.m., someday became today. And at great financial expense, calling a person to come out to fill the tank on Christmas Eve, we suffered through a very cold evening with a not-so-merry family on Christmas Eve, 1992. I learned a lasting lesson called Happy Wife, Happy Life. <laughs> but you know what's so cool and so interesting about this? I was close. I was really just a week off. Really, just about a week or so off. It was so close. And when you look at this, they're just kind of saying, but we're close. And the close is not, it's just not good enough sometimes. It's not really good enough when it comes to the things of God. 
When it comes to the presence of God in your life, He wants to live in your presence. He wants to walk with you. He wants to be in your thoughts and in your heart. He wants to, He doesn't want to do it because He doesn't want you to have fun. He wants to do it because He wants to bless you. Sometimes close just isn't close enough. How would you feel if the airport traffic controllers were happy with close? I was reading an article not too long ago that if airport controllers at the Chicago O'Hara Airport were happy with 99% effectiveness, just 99%, 1%, that would mean two airplanes would crash every day at O'Hara Airport. God is just saying very clearly to us, listen, close isn't close enough. It may be that God's saying today, because one week from now, that today would have really counted. I don't know what the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you in your heart. It may be all kinds of things. It may be about your relationship with God. It may be about your health. It may be that you've been putting off a medical exam and God says, you know what, don't do it anymore. It may be your finances and God is just saying, you know what, the drain, the, the pain that you feel of carrying debt and, and, and how that's continuing to, to, to go further and further in debt is just sapping the joy out of your life. I don't want you to do it. In fact, he might be speaking and saying, today... He said, today I want you to prioritize something. Because in it you will know me. Because our condition, the word of God tells us, can lead to some very hurtful consequences. The implications to your answer to God's knocking at your heart today may have consequences later on. And in this he may say, I want to save you from a chilly, cold night. See, our desires dictate our priorities, and our priorities shape our choices, and our choices determine our actions. And the choices you make today impact your tomorrow. And so just think about it. Spring and summer of 2015 could hinge on what the Spirit of God in this fall of winter of 2014 is poking at your heart about. God's really clear the consequences of being second, third, or fourth will ultimately be painful because it's a spiritual and universal principle. It's the way God set it up that choices have consequences. As Paul said, we reap what we sow. So here are some of the hurtful consequences. You get to verse 5 through 11. A heart condition of close leads to hurtful consequences not only in landing planes or in relationships of those we love, but also in relationship with God in all of life. The Bible's crystal clear on this, and I I can run through it. For some, this will be good just to hear again. God says in one of the first words of the ten words, which we call the Ten Commandments, he makes the very first word, the first word that's a priority before any of them else is this, you shall have no other gods before me. What do you think about all the time? You think, what you think about it, you become like don't have any other gods before me. He says in, in Moses at one point shares this incredibly great advice in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 5. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. If you're going to do this thing, it's all in. And that's why Jesus in his famous sermon on the mount, Matthew six thirty three, says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those other things will begin to fall into place so that God in your seeking him can bless you. See, close enough, here's the problem, when you look at verses 5 through 11, close enough just wasn't close enough because close couldn't unleash the blessing of God. I want to say that again. Close enough just wasn't close enough because close will not unleash the blessing of God in your life. 
Now, I'm not saying that he's going to give you all kinds of, you know, you're going to, get, you're going to hit some cash benefit or you're going, to, you're going to get something and all things are going to be good. It's, it means that he's not going to be able to actually fulfill the deepest desires of your heart unless he is in your heart first place. So that he says in verse 5, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. He wants you to examine. He wants you to use your mind right now. God is very much about using your head and your mind. Use your mind for a second about some hard issues. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. What you desire seems to never bring about fulfillment. And so then he goes on in verse 7 and he gives us challenge here and we're going to look at this in a second. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your way. So he at first is saying, you know, look at what the results are. Now I'm going to tell you what you need to do. Go up into the mountains and bring down the timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord? Here's why. Because of my house, which remains knee-high in a ruin. While each of you is busy with your own stuff. They hadn't put two to two together. Their lack was by the hand of God. It's a spiritual principle. It wasn't due to bad weather. It wasn't due to poor seed. It wasn't due to laziness or economic conditions or even political reasons. You may find that you try harder and harder and harder. Isn't it the way it is sometimes? You, if it doesn't work, you, you know, someone doesn't hear you, you just you speak louder. And you ever done that where you speak louder and you keep yelling and eventually you go, I just didn't get what you were saying all along anyway. Sometimes when it comes to that, we think, well, if I just keep pushing in the physical, I just keep doing this thing here, eventually it's going to be. And God's saying it's not about a physical thing. It's not a material thing at all. It's not about what you think it is. It's about a spiritual condition. It's about what's going on in your heart. It's about humbling yourself to a place where you begin to hear and understand what God wants to do in your heart. It's not about what you can get here, what you can change here, what you can make happen here. It's about what he does here. Because when he changes here, it changes out here. Close enough just wasn't close enough because it couldn't and it will not and never will unleash God's blessing. And you may get rich, you may get a lot of money, you may put a lot of time into your work, you may put a lot of time into your sports and, and really get good and skilled at that. I don't care. You can do all those things. And by the way, it is Hunter's Weekend, isn't it not? Make sure they get this. Anyway, um, you may do all kinds of stuff. But I, I also want to share with you, don't, I, I want for those of you who are, are living after God and you're experiencing some negative consequences right now and you're experiencing some things, I want you also to know that there is this truth. When Tim Addington, he left a book and you, I encourage you to read it. It's when life comes undone. There are times in the economy of God, in the way that we live in this world, that sin has entered in and we experience those times of suffering and those sufferings have nothing to do with your heart relationship with God. But it does do in the sense what it does is cause you to trust in him and it grows your character. But it may not be about what's going on with your heart with God. But there are times. So hear this. There are times in Scripture it says very clearly that what God is doing in this thing out here is to get your attention. Because if you read verse 10, he says, Therefore, your choices do have consequences because of you. The heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. Listen to verse 11. God is saying, I have called for a drought on the fields and on the mountains, and on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. If God, and you can discern through the Holy Spirit, is kind of tapping at your heart because of some of the things that are going on out here, he's just saying, listen, 
I want you to give careful thought to this. Because there's a hard choice you're probably going to have to make. It's probably a hard choice that may have to rearrange some things in your life. It may be the hard choice of courage where for the first time, instead of just continuing giving it in courage, you stand before someone and you say, here's the reality of what's going on, and you're scared to death because of what that could mean. It may be the very hard choice where you have to say, guess what? We have to open up about this to someone else as a couple. We need to bring someone else to give us some financial advice. We need to develop a plan. We need to live by that plan. We may need to make the hard choice that our desires just can't be fulfilled through a credit card. There, I don't know what it is, but God might be saying, there's a hard choice for you. It may be the hard choice where God is just saying to you, you've been living apart from him, and you know you've been living apart from him, and, and you have, have maybe not had this cold, hard heart that's been outwardly rebellious, but it's been a heart when you know that you're standing in a place that before God, you know that he can't smile on your life right now. And he's calling you through this. He doesn't do these kind of things because he wants to make your life miserable. He's calling you to these hard choices and this challenge because he wants to live with you, and he wants you to know his love, and he wants you to experience that. What is God calling you to do? He says in verse 7, Give careful thought your ways. Go up to the mountains. Here's the hard choice. They had to trudge up to the mountains again. They had to go up and cut the timber, and they had to bring it back down to build the house, which meant they had to stop the other things. And he said, basically, I want you to know I will take pleasure in it and be honored. The point is this. The moment you step into that hard choice, he says, Honor me, and I will honor you. I will honor you. On Monday morning with a group of guys, I'm reading a book by Craig Greshel. It's called The Fight. One of the guys said, let's read this book. It's all about what a man's fight is. What are you going to fight for as a man? It's a, really, it's a good book. It you know, calls you to really think through what is it you're going to fight for. So we're reading this. We're like a week or two into it. And yeah, this is fun. You know, I can read. Yeah, that's really interesting. And you get all these nice little nuggets. And, and then one day, one of the guys go, you know, well, let's, let's stop and just name what we're fighting for. That's a good idea. So we all kind of sit around, we think about it for a second, and we take a couple of weeks really to process through this. And one guy says, I just need to take care of my physical body. That's one of the things that will really, for him, I think, bring a greater sense of God's presence. Another person said, a couple of them said, we really want to be present for our wife and our kids when we come home after work. Another said, well, I want to put a budget together. And we sat around, and then we began to start talking about it. I said, what's that hard choice mean? Because that hard choice to do something, to make a priority, means there's going to have to be some steps to get there. And one of the great things about having other people in your life is they hold you accountable to those steps so that on a weekly basis, say, are you making steps? What you're fighting for, are you really fighting for to make progress in? Think about it for a second. The one choice that you would prioritize and do again and again over the next five years what kind of positive blessing could God bring into your life if you were to just make one choice and do it again and again for five years? Well, he comes to the end here in verse 12 through 15, and he, he gives us hopeful conclusion to the whole thing. He says, here's what happened in Israel's case. They made the hard choice. They stopped paneling their homes because seriously, thinking about it, paneling is such a poor remodeling choice anyway, isn't it? And they began to take care of God's dwelling. They began to think about what it meant to have God's presence in their life. And they went up in the mountains. They got wood. They did all the hard work. They sweat and they built the temple. Listen to verses 12 and 15 through 15. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, 
the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people. It's pretty key. They feared the Lord. They feared the Lord. And then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came and they began to work in the house of the Lord, their Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. It was pretty simple. Verse 12, they obeyed. They heard the voice. They said, I'm going to do this, God. What you are calling me to prioritize, I'm going to do. What I really think is cool is God just needs a few passionate people to change the situation. They responded, verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message. I am with you. What a wonderful truth. The moment you begin to move into obedience, the moment you begin to step into this, God says, guess what? I'm with you. Imagine that. There is nothing better in the world than to have the presence of God with you in any and every situation. And then as you go on, not only did the Lord respond, but the Lord moved. Verse 14, so the Lord stirred up the spirit of these two leaders and then the whole remnant, and God moved. He moved in their hearts and their lives. So I'm going to ask you just to take a few moments here as we kind of come to the end of this message. And I'm I'm going to ask us to do something I don't think we do too often in in public settings or in life, and that's just to stop and listen to the Lord. Do you know the Holy Spirit can speak to you? You've heard the Word of God. It might be the Holy Spirit of God is at this point beginning, and maybe he's been speaking to you. So let me just throw out a few things to give careful thought to that you might want to give thought to relationally. What's the one thing you might do today that could be different five years from now? And maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's time to be able to say, you know what, God, I I know that we're stuck. I, I need to invite some other people into this. We need to do that. We need to give this a priority. And it could be, and I'll just say it to dads for a moment. Dads, it may be time and attention to a child, a particular child right now. It could be that you need to forgive someone. You know, a lot of times you don't realize it, but some of the things that are going on in our life that are of negative consequences, stress and all kinds of different things, pain, sleeplessness, things like that, sometimes underneath all that is a a spirit of forgiveness. There's something that needs to be done. We have this wonderful ministry called Gateway Prayer Ministry and a counseling ministry as well where you can come and you can actually have people who pray with you to help you kind of understand, to hear the voice of God. You may need to even think about that. I'd be happy to share more about that. But God might be saying there's a relationship that needs to be restored. Maybe it's just a note that he wants you to write. Maybe it's financial, as we talked before, your spending. Or maybe it's around your money, the hard choice to make some choices around what you're going to do, how you're going to give, what's it going to look like for you to be a generous person. Maybe it's your attitude. Maybe the one thing that keeps the presence of God, you know the one thing that keeps the presence of God is the spirit of complaint. There's something in Philippians that says, do everything without complaining or arguing. I, that one throws me for a loop because I, I, I'm, I like to complain. Think about it. Do everything. Do everything. There's, there's no exception to that. There is no exception. Just do everything. 
Maybe it's just gratefulness. I, I wear this wristband I've been wearing for a number of years. And it's just as simple as, as be joyful, pray continually, give thanks and everything. Maybe it's just constantly getting something that reminds you and go, you know what, I'm going to do this this day. I'm going to choose joy throughout this day. And maybe it's your spiritual life. You could be in a situation where it's just a matter of maybe weekly you just need to go, you know what, I need to be in church on a Sunday-by-Sunday basis. As best I can, I need to be consistent. Or maybe it's a small group of some people you need to be accountable to, or it's God's reading God's word daily, or, or using the gifts God's given you. You've been here, and you've been coming, and you've been going, you know what, I, I kind of feel like I should be doing something, and now the Spirit of God saying, I have given you gifts to be used in service of others. So I'm going to ask you just with your heads just bowed for a moment, I will actually be quiet and ask you to listen. And you may hear nothing. You may find it God's impressing something on your heart. God, maybe just setting up your heart to talk to you later. God, we pray in this just space of time, we ask that you, Holy Spirit, given to us by Jesus Christ, we invite you here and we ask that with hearts that are reverent and fearful, you might speak to us individually and even collectively. So I want you to stand, if you would, as a church body together. I'm going to ask you kind of, you, maybe you want to just kind of bow your head, if you want to close your eyes or if you want to hold on to something and just... Just in a real spirit of reverence, I want to ask us as a church family this question. So if you're visiting or you're part of it, this is really for us as a church family. You know, last spring I began to put together the different series of messages that really started in July that have run through um, December. And I remember when I was processing this one. I just I knew that at some point we'd be talking about renovating this church building, this worship area, and I, I didn't know when it would be, what God's timing would fully be on it, but I just sensed that this was a time to kind of bring this forward. And, and as I've been praying about it, I just want you as a church body, as I just think of what Peter, as I said, we're in a really unique time. And I don't know what God's going to do, but I, I kept getting this thought as I was preparing for it over the last month or two, and when things just seemed crazy in some ways... I had this thought, what if this sanctuary and lobby renovation is much more than some new carpeting or seats or some kind of community lobby space? What if it is something God's Spirit is calling us to that through our obedience would bring about His presence and stir up His Spirit among us? What if it's not about merely renewing some material physical structure, but about really the process He wants us to be thinking about is the renewing of His presence in our own body, our own individual heart? where he works on the things that just explode out of our hearts with fruits like love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and a deeper sense of humility and compassion and care and all these things. What if this whole thing is a step towards releasing God's greater work through his spirit? And I say this because when this temple was being rebuilt and it was only knee-high or so and they started to build it, there was a point, and we're told in, in, in one of the other books of Ezra that the people began, to, the people who had seen the former temple, the, that Solomon's temple, they, they wailed and they cried because of what was. And, and then the people who were younger, who hadn't seen, they were full of joy and excited and anticipating what God was going to do. But what they all didn't really realize...
It's the temple that he was moving towards wasn't a building. It was, a, it was just a step. That little temple, which didn't look anything like that, it was just a step to get to a greater temple, which was Jesus Christ coming in flesh. And only some of the prophets saw that. And what was even more important than that was not only that Jesus would die on a cross, but in that death on the cross, he would forgive all our sins and anyone who would be willing to come in and recognize their need of him in the face of this holy God and would come into his presence with, and receive the forgiveness of God, he would then give his Holy Spirit in you and I would become temples. This is not about a building, it's about people who are filled with the presence of God. So like the water that flows on a flood throughout the earth, we as people would flow throughout this earth. God, we come before you now and we pray that you would release yourself among us, that you would send yourself through us, that God, not just in this place, but in the communities of faith around here that trust you, that look to you, that you would cause a new sweeping of your Holy Spirit, not just in our city, but throughout Minneapolis and through Minnesota and throughout this nation. God, we pray that you would renovate the hearts of your people. It is our prayer, God, as we stand before you. As one church, maybe many churches are calling out to you right now. Because it's amazing when your spirit works, you work the same in one place and in another. And so my voice and the voices of our people here with collective voices say, Come, Spirit of God, we surrender ourselves in this next step to whatever you're calling us and what you want to do. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus that you will be our priority individually and corporately in Christ's name. Amen.